It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. In the last episode, I was discussing how at various times... Christ operated under the influence of one or the other or both of his natures, human or divine. I continued today's episode from that perspective. In Christ's initial approach to the fig tree in his humanity, he did not know from a distance there was no fruit on that particular tree. But when he came closer and saw the tree had no fruit, he exercised his divine nature by causing the tree to wither. On another occasion, Jesus in his divine omniscience knew that his friend Lazarus had died, and he and his disciples set off to go to the town of Bethany where Lazarus lived. When they arrived in Bethany, in his human nature, without exercising his omniscience, Jesus asked where Lazarus was laid. All this serves as a backdrop to the situation where Jesus says he does not know the hour when certain appointed things will occur. The basic point is, Jesus was omniscient in his divine nature, but he had limited knowledge in his human nature. Let me add some additional comments about the two natures in Jesus Christ. With respect to Jesus' human nature, we can say he is no longer in the world. But with respect to his divine nature, we can say he is everywhere present. So the person of Christ has returned to heaven And he is also present with us in his divine nature. Similarly, in terms of his human nature, we can say that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. But in terms of his divine nature, we can say he eternally existed. In his human nature, Jesus died. But with respect to his divine nature, he did not die, but was raised from the grave after three days. In his book, Bible Doctrine, page 24, Wayne Grudem gives a word of caution here. Quotes, It is true that when Jesus died, his physical body died, and his spirit was separated from his body, and passed into the presence of God the Father in heaven. In this way, he experienced a death that is like the one we as believers experience if we die before Christ returns. 
And it is not correct to say that Jesus' divine nature died, or could die, if die means a cessation of activity, a cessation of consciousness, or a diminution of power. Nevertheless, by virtue of union with Jesus' human nature, his divine nature somehow tasted something of what it was like to go through death. The person of Christ experienced death. Moreover, it seems difficult to understand how Jesus' human nature alone could have borne the wrath of God against the sins of millions of people. It seems that Jesus' divine nature had somehow to participate in the bearing of wrath against sin. That was due us. Though scripture nowhere explicitly affirms this. Therefore, even though Jesus' divine nature did not actually die, Jesus went through the experience of death as a whole person. And both natures shared in that experience. Beyond that, Scripture does not enable us to say more, in quotes. In his human nature, Jesus became hungry, thirsty, and grew weary. But in his divine nature, he was omnipotent. On the Sea of Galilee, during the raging storm, Jesus was asleep on the stern of the boat, presumably because he was weary. But he was able to arise from his sleep and calm the wind and the waves with the words, Peace, be still. Here his weak human nature cloaked his omnipotence until his omnipotence broke forth in his words spoken from his divine nature. Another objection. Jesus was not omnipotent because he was unable to perform miracles in his hometown. Mark 6, verses 5 and 6 reports that, in fact, he could do no miracle there, but that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And Jesus wondered at their unbelief. The word wondered is derived from thalmatzo, which means to wonder, to marvel at, to be at a loss of words, to be shocked and amazed, to stand in awe, to be astonished at. Jesus marveled at the faith of the Roman centurion, where one would not have expected it, Matthew 8, verse 10, and Luke 7, verse 9. Here, Jesus marvels at the lack of faith where he might have had the right to expect it, in his own hometown, among his kinspeople, his own family. This same word, thalmatzo, is used when Jesus is before Pilate. Pilate is dumbfounded at Jesus' silence before the charges brought against him. Roman law permitted prisoners three chances to defend themselves. If the prisoner passed up those three chances to speak in his defense, he would be automatically charged as guilty. In Matthew 27, verse 11, Jesus passed up his first chance. 
In Matthew 27, verse 12, he passed up his second chance. Then in Matthew 27, verse 14, Jesus passed up his final chance to defend himself. At the very end of this time of interrogation, Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, It is as you say. It's found in Luke 23, verse 3. John's gospel tells us that Jesus added, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. That's found in John 18, verse 36. After hearing these answers, Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. In the situation in Nazareth, Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Mark 6, 5 says Jesus could not do many miracles there. That could not is troubling to me. It is not that Jesus was unable to do miracles, for he did heal some. Matthew 13, verse 58 says he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. That seems to leave open the possibility that it was not that he could not, but that he would not perform miracles because of their pervasive unbelief. I need to work more on that for greater understanding. Notice it is not doubt or questionings, but unbelief, total lack of any faith at all. Miracles serve a greater purpose from the divine perspective than merely providing a raw display of power. Indeed, Jesus' miraculous deeds are often called signs in the New Testament because they serve to signify his identity as the Messiah. Miracles confirmed his message. But in Nazareth, the people had already made up their minds against Jesus. So he refused to bestow a miracle on a city that had rejected the miraculous Messiah. Their unbelief excluded them from the dynamic of God's grace that residents of other cities had experienced. There is no evidence that Jesus ever again returned to Nazareth. Objection. Christ became a temporal being in the incarnation, so he cannot be God since God is eternal. The argument goes like this. Premise one, God became human in the incarnation of Christ. Premise two, human beings are by nature temporal beings. <clears throat> Conclusion, therefore, God by nature became a temporal being in the incarnation. My response is, when someone gives an argument in order to refute that argument and expose the inadequacy of that person's reasoning requires one of three things and three things only. First, find an ambiguity in the use of some term. 
Second, show some premise is false. Third, or show that the argument commits some logical fallacy. This would include determining if the argument's structure is valid or invalid. The analysis of the argument reveals the form is valid because its structure is the classic modus ponens form of argument. Premise two is clearly true. Premise one might appear to be true if a person has a vague understanding of Orthodox Christianity. The Bible implies that Jesus is divine, and we know he entered into this temporal world. And John 1 verse 14 says he became flesh. However, the appearance of the truth of premise 1 is deceptive. Why? Well, the first clue is because the conclusion is contrary to Christian doctrine since it denies the eternality of God. So what is wrong with the argument? As persuasive as this argument may seem, Premise one is actually false. Why? Skeptics might say premise one is false because Jesus is not divine. But that is not the reason. There is plenty of evidence for his deity. The real problem is interpreting what the word became signifies. Premise one is false because it assumes that the word became means the divine nature really became human in the incarnation. But the eternal could not become temporal. The infinite could not become finite. Neither could the divine nature become human in the incarnation. That is the monophistic heresy that was condemned at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 A.D., Rather, the divine person, the second person of the Trinity, took on a human body in the incarnation, and he also assumed a human nature in addition to his divine nature. It is as impossible for God to become man as it is for an uncreated to become created. As Athanasius said, the incarnation was not the subtraction of deity, but the addition of humanity to deity. Objection. Jesus may have claimed to be God, but he was deluded. My response. In fact, I've already dealt with this objection in episodes 21 and 27. I'm always torn between being redundant and abiding by the teacher's maxim of engraving on the mind of the listeners. The three rules of teaching are repetition, repetition, repetition. So here I go again to remind you of this quite simple argument. Premise one, Jesus was either legend, llama, liar, lunatic, or lord. Premise two, he could not possibly be legend, lama, liar, or lunatic. Conclusion, therefore, Jesus is Lord. There are only the five choices of premise one. I've already dealt with premise two, so consult episode 21.
almost without exception, people who have studied Jesus's life recognize his great wisdom. Further, he has consistently been recognized as a good man. All religions revere him, even if they reject his deity. His goodness is evidence in the words he spoke and in the, his actions toward others. There is nothing about him to fit the profile of a deluded person or a lunatic. The same can be said about him as liar, llama, or legend. So, by the process of elimination, the conclusion is Jesus is Lord. This argument, boiled down to its barest essentials, is Jesus Christ was either God or a bad man. If he is not God, then he is only a mere man who wants you to worship him as God. But that kind of man is not good. He is a very bad man indeed. But if he is God, everything else in the faith follows. Not only intellectually, Christ's teachings must all then be true, but also personally, if he is God, he is also Lord and Savior. So which is it? It's time for you to get off the fence. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.